Welcome into Locked On Knicks. I am Alex Wolf. He's Gavin Shaw. We are your usual hosts, and we have a very special guest today. It is Knicks opening day of the regular season, but we are not quite done with our player capsule previews yet. That's where we come in today with CP of Knicks Fan TV on YouTube. You can find him at youtube.com slash Knicks Fan TV or on Twitter at Knicks Fan TV. CP is probably one of the hardest working dudes in the Knicks community. Watches probably as much Knicks basketball as anybody. And Gavin, we were super excited to get into it with him today about what we, when we booked the episode we thought would be the point guard battle, we had to sort of add one more name in there. But we talked about Dennis Smith Jr., Alfred Payton, and Frank Nilakina in this episode. Yeah, it's fun. We, we start off with Alfred Payton and we get into some of the numbers and, and the truth of those numbers with Alfred Payton. Why were the Knicks so much better when he was on the floor than any other point guard? on the roster. And then I know we've touched on DSJ already, but we sort of wrap up all the different threads of conversations we've had from other episodes, what he showed this preseason, how much of it was sustainable, and whether he is a long-term point guard or even a player in the NBA. And finally, we finish up with our boy, Frank Nilakina, the French Prince. What is his future on the Knicks? What does he still have to work on? Where does he have to get better? Can his health improve? We, we get into all that and more and conclude with sussing out the point guard rotation. How much will each of these guys play? That is really the defining point of this conversation. And maybe not just one unexpected name, Alex, two unexpected names come up in that position. So we'll leave you at that, a, a, little, a little mystery box for you guys. Jump in right now. CP's great. And we're on with him on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with the five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Thompson tucks left. Now fires it. He's good! And he's fouled! It's tough! And he makes it Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. As we said, final player capsule preview episode, and we came with a huge guest for the final one. My guy CP of Knicks Fan TV has totally blown up in the recent years here. Uh, you can find him at Knicks Fan TV on Twitter, of course, Knicks Fan TV on YouTube. Uh, I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of the Strickland, uh, a new Knicks blog on you know, at the strict.land, you can find us. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Alex Wolf and joined as always by Gavin Shaw, play by play barcaster by day, Nick's podcaster by night. You can find him on Twitter at Gavin Shaw, and we are at locked on Nick's on Twitter. As I mentioned, CP, welcome back to the show, man. It has been, I think, since your last locked on Nick's, probably like a year. I think it was preseason last year that we had you on, which means it's just yeah. been really too long. But yeah, it, w- it was preseason last year, man. So happy yeah. to be back, fellas. What's going on? 
Not much, man. How are you doing? How's how's everything going for you? With I mean, Knicks Fan TV, I, my goodness, we thought we did pretty well with interviews over quarantine, but you had like a different player every other day coming on. <laughs> yeah, the quarantine stream took off, man. It started off with Oakley, went 12 rounds with Oak. And um, and from there, it just snowballed, man. We had Rasheed Wallace. We had uh, Raymond Felton, Kenyon Martin, um, Charlie Ward came on. Xavier McDaniel was was our biggest interview of the quarantine. Um, Langston Galloway came on. We had a t- Jamal Crawford, you know, so it was a it was a star studded Nick lineup uh, that we had. And, and it was it was cool, man. It definitely gave the fans some content to uh, to digest while there was no basketball. You saw some of those interviews being picked up by the local national media as well. So it, it was definitely a fun experience and, um, you know, valuable stories to be told. Yeah. If anybody hasn't checked those out yet. Sorry, Gavin. If anybody hasn't checked those out yet, definitely go to Knicks Fan TV on YouTube uh, and check those interviews out because they're very good. Uh, Gavin, you can go ahead. No, I was, I was just saying uh, everyone should listen to the Channing Fry one. Really. Yeah, yeah. Channing Fry. One of my all time favorites. Yeah, Channing Fry was good, man. Very insightful for sure. So we uh, we'll just get right into it. I I was saying before we started recording, it was kind of funny that you know when we booked these episodes out, I saved this one for last because I was like. Oh man, this is going to be like one of the most interesting conversations at camp. Like uh, Frank versus DSJ versus Alfred for the starting point guard job. Who's going to win it? There were so many rumblings coming out early in camp about like about like oh DSJ is really impressing. You know he's going to get lots of play time. This that the other. I think you yourself even had that at one point. You know saying that DSJ was going to get you know a lot of a lot of run, and he did for yeah. you know by and large in the preseason he got a pretty good amount of run except for that last game when he was out. Uh, But Alfred got all the starts and Frank got some playing time. I think a lot of people thought that Frank might, might be able to, you know, kind of place himself as a Tibbs favorite. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It's tough to say just yet. Um, He definitely played pretty well while he was out there, but didn't get a lot of pure point guard minutes. And obviously the emergence of Emmanuel quickly uh, in the last two preseason games is sort of, uh, I don't want to say nullified this discussion, but it's made it at least slightly less interesting between these three players because I think that we're now to the point where we're just trying to figure out if Quickly is going to get the nod, if he's done enough to earn it, to be starting point guard on night one, or if it's still going to be Alfred Payton uh, when you know the, the first game of the season rolls around. And because he started all the preseason games that he was healthy for and presumably will be the starter unless Tibbs really thinks that quickly has done enough. Um, But CP, I'll throw it to you first. Like as far as Alfred's concerned, what do you think that he showed during the preseason? Do you think that he showed some improvement from last year? I know he was not a fan favorite last year by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, You know, what, what do you think that he did this preseason? And and do you think that he ultimately is going to get the nod on, on night one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you said, coming into this, I had heard, you know, going into camp that uh, it was going to be a two man race between DSJ and Alfred Payton. Uh, Payton, obviously, being the incumbent, you know, having been the starting point guard for this team last year. You know, Payton is Payton. Um, You know, you you take the good with the bad with him. Can't shoot a lick, can't finish, can't hit free throws. Um, But at the same time, if you're looking at it from a Tibbs perspective, he going into this, he was your most reliable point guard, you know, in terms of getting the offense generated. He was sixth in the league in assist rate, sixth in in, in the league in, in steal percentage as well. 
assist percentage, pardon me, assist percentage and steal percentage. So you know that, you know, he's capable of getting the offense going. Obviously, we know the chemistry that he and Julius Randle had, you know, certainly benefited the two of them. Um, definitely not RJ or the, or the rest of the starting five, but Peyton, he's, he's a safe option, you know, doesn't turn the ball over as much. And, um, you know, you know what you're going to get from him from a, from a floor general standpoint. The issue is that, you know, when you factor in RJ Barrett in the starting lineup, the part of the worst spaced starting lineup last year was with RJ, Julius Randle and, and Alfred Peyton in the five. So going into the preseason, what do we see? We, they went into Detroit. First game, they, they played very well, destroyed them. Second game, Detroit made adjustments and, and went right into the zone. And, and you saw that, uh, you know, frustrated the whole team. They forced Peyton to shoot. You had Peyton shooting, you know, step back three-point jumpers and, and whatnot. Um, so it, it took them out of their rhythm. And I think you're going to see more of that going into the season if Peyton is the starter, you're going to see more teams just looking to expose the Knicks early and often and forcing them to shoot their way out of the zone. And so Peyton, as much as he gives you from a you know facilitation standpoint, he hurts you in that, you know, RJ's not the strongest shooter. Julius doesn't stretch the floor that much. And Peyton is atrocious. So when Quickly came in, he was just a breath of fresh air. He, he gave you everything that Peyton could give you, plus he gave you a threat on the perimeter, it gave you a threat inside the paint in terms of attacking on the pick and roll. Um, the floater is, is there, you know, um, quickly gave us a, a spark of energy, you know, some competence from the point guard position that, that we sorely need. So going into opening night in Indiana, I still think Tibbs will lean on Peyton, but it's only a matter of, of uh, when quickly gets the job full time. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, CP. And it, it was, there, there are, to your point, metrics to back up Peyton starting and playing a big role. I know everyone was upset when he resigned. I was one of them. And when I sat on it a little bit more, I, I realized it was, it was mostly just for aesthetics. Like, it's not yeah. really fun watching the Knicks when Alfred Peyton's in the game. To your point, everyone packs the lane. It, it becomes increasingly difficult to have any sort of free-flowing offense. And it devolves in, into bully ball a lot of the time. The thing was, that worked pretty darn well. Uh, this is courtesy of our, our guy, Jonathan Macri. Over 535 possessions last season's lineups featuring Alfred Payton, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett had a positive 7.8 net rating, meaning they outscored their opponents um, by 8 points per 100 possessions and scored 115 points per 100 possessions. So they were dynamite offensively. Maybe you can argue relatively small sample size um, with Alfred, Randle, Mitch, and R.J., which on paper doesn't make any sense. Because to your point, <laughs> not, none of those guys can shoot the basketball at all. Facts. Yeah. Um, and, and another stat to throw out, the Knicks on the whole were over eight points better um, offensively and defensively per 100 possessions, cumulatively, I should say, mm -hmm. which was um, in the 95th percentile league wide in terms of a change that one player brought on um, when Alfred Payton was on the floor. So this is a team that you can argue it was because of how bad the other options were. And I would say the biggest thing driving up those numbers, and we'll, we'll get into this, I'm sure, was that Dennis Smith Jr. was just historically bad, both offensively and defensively. Like, you could have made a case last year that he was the single worst offensive player and defensive player in the NBA. So when anyone else was in, the Knicks were going to look much, much better statistically. And, and a lot of the same bumps that applied to Peyton also applied to Frank Nilekina. And I think that was mostly a product of DSJ distorting things so, so badly. So I don't think Peyton deserves full credit for those numbers, but he does deserve some because they scored 115 points for 100 possessions. And that doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. But to your point on quickly, 
it's going to be fascinating to see if he can have that same effect. Obviously, small sample size in the preseason going up against the Cavs backups, he has had that effect. And the fact that he can shoot the basketball, the fact that he moves off the ball, the fact that he seemingly at a very young age has an understanding of how to manipulate a defense when he has the ball and when he doesn't consistently leverages his shooting into getting into the paint. I don't think he has nearly the on-the-dribble breakdown ability that someone like Peyton does, who has a really nice handle and is extremely, uh, excuse the pun, quick, even quicker than quickly is. Um, But when you have a great jumper, you don't necessarily need that same boost because teams have to play up on you so much more. So I think quickly, without necessarily having the same ability, can replicate some of the same effects that Alfred has. And as he gets better and better and better, I think I think that'll get easier and easier. I will say I don't think we should totally dismiss the idea that quickly was doing this against bad competition. And I would I would guess at the very start of the season. Now I would start quickly because I think that's the long term bet and it makes more sense because Peyton yeah. isn't going to be here forever anyways. Um, I would guess at the beginning of the season the Knicks would be a better basketball team with Peyton on the floor. As much as it pains me to say that um, defensively, I still think he's quite a bit ahead of where quickly was um, or, or is right now. And offensively. Um, I would assume against better defenders, it's going to translate a little bit more quickly. Personally, oh my, I don't know why I keep saying that. <laughs> uh, personally, I would, I would bet on IQ to, to take that initial punch and develop because the upside is so much higher. But I, I understand the argument for starting Peyton. Al- Alex, where are you on all of that right now? Are we ready for some football? College football heads into bowl season, and there are some big matchups this weekend. NFL regular season is finishing up with the playoff picture becoming clearer. There is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus. And there, there are some opportunities to make some money this week, guys. I know... I know you want to go to Locked On Bets. That's the place to get the uh, professional opinion. Lee Sterling is is the best in the world at what he does. But I, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you my thoughts on some games this week. I, I think I noted in a previous episode I like the Ravens over the Giants. I love the Chiefs big over the Falcons. The Falcons don't really have anything to play for at this point. Their running game is in complete disarray. Todd Gurley has, has sort of fallen apart down the stretch. The Chiefs are absolutely rolling. They haven't lost in weeks. Um, I think Patrick Mahomes absolutely tears up that Falcon secondary. Dolphins Raiders, that's easy money on the Dolphins. They're two teams with similar records, so the line might be kind of close. The Raiders have not played well in a while. They should have lost that Jets game. They lost to a Chargers team that, if they're not playing Oakland, just seems to find a way to lose close games. Uh, Miami, they're tough. They're so good defensively. The running game really kicked in the high gear behind former Washington running back Salvin Ahmed last week. I think the Dolphins win that. On the college side, I told you guys a bunch last episode, so I'm not going to go in depth again. But I'm telling you, just hammer Texas over Colorado. Texas is 3-0 and in bowl games under Tom Herman. They're going to have some opt-outs, so the line is going to be a little bit closer than it should be. But just a massive, massive talent advantage for the Texas Longhorns over the Colorado Buffalo, former Big 12 rivals. It should be a fun one. Anyways, guys, the, the point is, it, it's not really who you bet on. It, it's where you bet, and it's that you do bet. And don't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's time to get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at betonline underscore AG to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Again, all you have to do to sign up for a free account is use our promo code Locked On for your sign-up bonus. Hashtag betonline. 
The holidays are about giving, so I'm giving you a hot tip that can earn you some cash. And who doesn't need cash around the holidays? Am I right? The new Locked On Bets podcast is hosted by Lee Sterling of ParamountSports.com. Lee is red hot to start the season, and he shares a lock of the day on every episode. Subscribe to Locked On Bets today wherever you get podcasts. I mean, I think I'm probably on Team Start quickly as well. You know, I just think it just doesn't seem worth it to start Peyton. And I I actually think that, especially if they're going to be married to starting Randall at first, I think it makes more sense to start quickly because, you know, again, competition level caveats aside, you know, because obviously the Cavs for large stretches of those two games were playing, you know, most likely what's going to be their, their G league lineup. What's their G league affiliate can't in charge or whatever. Yeah. I couldn't tell you half of those dudes that are playing on the Cavs. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they had, you know, Kevin Love Jr., a.k.a. Dean Wade, um, that looked like he could actually be Kevin Love's brother. <laughs> um, but, other, you know, and uh, Dylan Windler and all those guys. I mean, it just a lot of guys that probably uh, – Matt Mooney, was that what his name was? Yeah, yeah. Good job. Yeah, a, a lot of guys that probably aren't going to see NBA playing time. So, I mean, I think there's some things you could take with a grain of salt, such as, like, the DSJ five steals and two blocks, you know. Yeah that doesn't seem super real to me. Um, but the, the quickly play, I mean, I think maybe his effect won't be quite as exaggerated against better competition, but I think that the effect will still be there that he has on the offense, which is, you know, he has some gravity as a shooter, which we saw with the Cavs, like they had to respect him from the three point line and amazing. What a difference that made to, you know, not have the opposing defense sag off your point guard because they can't, um, you know, even if it was, even if quickly only ends up shooting like 35% from three is rookie year and isn't like the greatest pull-up shooter ever. Like it, just the fact that he's a known threat to can a three-pointer is enough to completely change the landscape for the Knicks. Uh, whereas Alfred Payton, like teams don't have to do anything with him on the perimeter. They just, I mean, we saw it in that, that first game against the Cavs. They straight up just said, if he's behind the three-point line, don't even guard him. And he got fed like four straight attempts in the corner against that zone that like completely destroyed him and Randall. Facts. Uh, you know, and he got a couple, I think it was like three or four straight attempts from three in the corner and they just left him alone. They didn't even bother defending mm-hmm. him and go figure. He climbed him. You know, he can't shoot. He just, he can't shoot. Can't shoot. Um, and, and that's not going to change. Clearly it hasn't through this point in his career and it's not going to change now. So I think from, just like a making the offense run better perspective. Randall seemed to play better with quickly. I don't know what it is with Randall and Peyton. Maybe it's that they still have this sort of like brotherhood together from when they <laughs> played for new Orleans. Um, I mean, I'm, it's sort of a joke, but it's sort of, it's sort of real too. I, I think that there's a comfort level between those it's a trust. Two, yeah. It's you a know? Trust. Yeah. Like they've played together now for, this will be their third straight season if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, you know, and that predates their time on the Knicks and, you know, I think that there's a trust level there, but that adversely affects everybody else because they look just for each other. So I think splitting them up, like uh, CP, I, I, tell me how you feel about this analogy. But I made an analogy uh, the other day on this show that they're almost like the two trouble kids in class, you know, when you're when you're in school <laughs> and they're the two that sit in the back and they're, you know, they're kind of shitheads when they're together. But then if you split them up, they're like totally different kids, you know, right. like, like, you know, they, they'll they'll be totally perfect angels if you split them up and, you know, don't have them with each other. But the second that they're together, it's, it's a bad combo. It's a bad mix. 
And yeah. I think that's kind of what Peyton and Randall are, is that if you split them up, they do some pretty productive things, you know, on the floor. And I think Peyton, if he's running the second unit, would rip apart other second units in the NBA. Um, and Randall, I think, just plays better with someone like Quickly, where it's like, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't feel quite as empowered, you know, or maybe it's just, I, I don't know what it is, but Randall, you know, was looking for more people uh, in that that second Cavs game. And I thought I actually played a pretty decent game. Um, so what's your take on that? I, I guess as far as the splitting up Randall and, and Alfred and yeah. if that could be beneficial. Yeah, I agree. And, and why not? Because I think Peyton, again, I think he brings a lot of positives to this team, but ideally he's a backup point guard and always has been in my book. But I think again, he could serve. Um, why not have him off the second on the second unit running with Obi, you know, getting, getting Obi involved in the similar fashion that, that, you know, he, he gets Randall going. So I, I think, um, you know, Peyton, yes, he, he, he did bring some things to the starting lineup, but at the end of the day, this was still one of the worst offenses in the league. One of the worst half court offenses in the league. Um, terrible in transition so they they could use an upgrade and even though quickly yes you know you could argue the competition wasn't that serious that that's fine but I think the bottom line is why not continue to see what he has he has some momentum generated obviously why not continue to see what he has let him play through it you could always go back to Peyton I don't think you risk losing Peyton by you know, running running him with the second unit or even benching him for a couple of games. He, you're going to get the same production out of Peyton, again, which is a steady hand, you know what I mean, all for the bench, can still get the offensive flowing. But rather, you know, him starting, I feel like, number one, the, the dynamic with him and Randall goes away from RJ. I want RJ handling the rock a lot more to start off the game. And I don't want to start off slow. You know, this team is not going to be a good come-from-behind team. So... I'd rather try to get out the gates quicker. You know, I'm trying not to say quickly, but you know, I'm trying to get out the gates quicker with with a lineup. I'm interested in a lineup of quickly RJ Burks. You're going to keep Randall in the lineup, obviously, and either Mitch and Noel. I think they're interchangeable. But I like to see that three-guard lineup first, see how that spaces the floor well. You have uh, three capable ball handlers in Burks, quickly, and RJ. You have two guys that can get to the free throw line at a high clip and Burks and RJ as well. That's going to, they're going to force the issue quickly showing that, you know, yes. In the, in the you know previous two preseason games, he can do that as well. So that's the lineup that I'm most intrigued um, by, but you know, I, I think Peyton will still get the nod. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm with that. I mean, some, something along that with Knox instead of Randall, I would just, I mean, that's, that's essentially what they were playing when they went on that, big run against the Cavs, except with Reggie Bullock in for Burks, but Burks gives you a little bit more shot creation, obviously on top of the shooting. Yeah. Um, so that would be, that'd be interesting. Maybe you need to work Frank in there for defense and you play RJ at small ball four occasionally. I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of that this year. There are certainly some, some fascinating um, conversations there. And I, I think it does. I, I feel like we've already had this talk like six times, but it does lead us into Dennis Smith jr. Who keeps coming up on these player capsules, even though, we technically haven't covered him until now. And it's going to be I, – I, I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to the feeling that there's only one spot in the rotation for him and Frank Nalakina. So maybe the best way to do it would be if we just combine these two. And, I mean, on paper, you look you look at all the on-off numbers from last year. You, you watch basketball last year, and you say, all right, it's no contest. Frank clearly had his weaknesses, especially pre-All-Star break. His shooting wasn't dramatically improved. 
He had more pop off the dribble, but that certainly wasn't a strength um, of his. He wasn't beating guys one-on-one in the half court with any kind of great frequency. Defensively, he was still great. Um, but he, he, he took steps last year, but you could argue if the stride, even, even as someone who is, uh, who is a Francophile, um, you could argue if they were big enough. Danny Smith Jr., conversely, was, was probably the single worst player in, in basketball last year. And there, there are plenty of stats to back that up. Um, again, for Macri, of the 393 players who appeared in more than 20 games last season, his negative 17.2 points per 100 possessions, plus minus, ranked dead last by a comfortable margin of everyone in the NBA who played um, in at least 20 games. So that's that's insane. Um, but we've also gotten to see Dennis Smith Jr. in the preseason, and he's looked like a completely different guy. And given how bad he was last year, that doesn't necessarily mean he's been great, but he's he's been competent to some extent or another, especially defensively. Um, we got into it a little bit in the game recap, but that was – um, in, including Frank, that was, uh, if you don't adjust for competition, that was one of the best defensive efforts I've ever seen from a point guard. He had, I think, five steals in 17 minutes, had one or two blocks as well. And he's just been in dudes' asses, for lack of a better term. He, he has been right in there. And he's gotten play after play after play, just vicious point-of-attack defense from Dennis Smith Jr. Um, and Frank obviously brings that to the table as well offensively because Frank's missed the last two games. We haven't gotten to see a ton from him and DSJ. It's sort of been, it's sort of been good moments and bad moments. He has shown off the pull-up three. His shot has certainly looked cleaner and more functional than last year where it was completely broken. He was putting up one of the worst shooting seasons of any point guard in, in modern NBA history, at least out of guys who think it's worth it to take three pointers, cough, cough, Ben Simmons. Um, But he's not getting into the lane. And Alex, you've noted this a couple of times. His handle and his ability to finish athletically around the rim, it, it almost looks like it's degraded from his rookie season. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I I think that there's real cause for concern with DSJ. And I, you know, I'm I think some of it is between his ears. I think some of it has now advanced beyond that to actually manifesting itself in his abilities. And I like I wonder if he's starting to lose abilities to some degree. You know, I, I guess I always figured for guys as high level as, as, you know, NBA players that certain stuff would just kind of be like riding a bike. But it, with DSJ, it just doesn't seem that way. It seems like it, it seems like his abilities have regressed to the point where like, I don't know if he's even as good of a player as he was in college or high school. You know, I think he's, I think he's actually gotten worse in a lot of areas. Like his, his, as you just mentioned, you know, I've, I've noted before, like he's getting, he was getting bottled up by, nobody's you know in that Cavs game that first one and you know for as much as he showed on defense where he was kind of being a pest like he almost committed a a backcourt violation getting like one-on-one defended by like I think it was Matt Mooney you know the very same (laughs) thing I just mentioned a minute ago I didn't even know who it was you know I think he he almost got you know tricked into a backcourt violation by him he was consistently did in the Detroit game the second Detroit game he he ran into the backcourt that's right. That's player. right. <laughs> like, yeah. And there's, and there's been so many, so many cases too, where he, he just sort of dribbles down to the baseline and then he gets there and he'll, I mean, I've seen him pick up his dribble on the baseline and just let himself get doubled. I assume looking for someone to come open, but that's not, that's not an advantageous spot to ever pick up your dribble, you know? 
Like you want to, you want to have a better survey of the floor and you don't want to be stuck amongst all the bigs down there that can just kind of smother you. And it, there's just so many situations that have really made me scratch my head with him. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what to make of him because I've been, I've been like probably as big of a DSJ believer as anybody for a long time now. I mean, I, I was one of the few, like when it was, and I mean, you know, if anybody's listening that listens consistently and is like, ouch, shut up already. Like I get it. Like, cause I brought this up a number of times, but you know, when it, when it was initially the draft time in 2017, like I was one of the few people that was on the DSJ train over Frank or Malik Monk, at least that I knew. Um, you know, most people seem split between Frank and Monk. Like I, I liked DSJ. I thought that he actually profiled statistically and play style wise, kind of similar to like a less physically gifted Markel Fultz. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ever since then, I, things are just, I mean, his first season was okay. He was inefficient, but that's forgivable for a rookie, but it looked like there might be something there. Second season, you know, with the Mavs, obviously he struggled with the reduced role with Luca getting there. And then comes to the Knicks, and I thought they actually showed some decent stuff in that like half season with the Knicks. And then last year, whether it was the personal reasons or the injuries or you know what have you, there was all kinds of things. But I mean, he he looked if he puts up another year like that this year, he's not going to be in the NBA for his second contract. Like period. I I really think that. Um, so he has a lot to prove this year, and I, at least this preseason, I don't know how far he's gone towards disproving any of the stuff from last year because yeah a lot of those warning signs are still there but cp like what did you see from dsj during the preseason i mean i know that again you had the you had the intel on your show that you know dsj at least early on in camp was you know and prior to the preseason i think even maybe after the first preseason game was you know looking like he was headed towards a decent amount of playing time i don't know that i've seen enough from him through the preseason to really justify that The holidays are about giving, so I'm giving you a hot tip that can earn you some cash. And who doesn't need cash around the holidays? Am I right? The new Locked On Bets podcast is hosted by Lee Sterling of ParamountSports.com. Lee is red hot to start the season, and he shares a lock of the day on every episode. Subscribe to Locked On Bets today wherever you get podcasts. I don't think so either, man. And you're right. You know, all all during training camp... um, Again, I was told that they were going to give him a look, a long look at the point guard role. We know that he's a, you know, quote unquote, Tibbs type of point guard in terms of profile, right? That athletic point guard that can crash into the paint, get into the lane. Now he can't finish worth a lick. He can't shoot. But certainly, you know, from the, the ability to collapse a defense and put some pressure on a defense, we know that's what Tibbs likes. So, it, you know, the fact that they they were willing to give him a chance isn't a surprise. What you see in the in the preseason, you know, Gav hit it on the head. It, it's it's so it's so perplexing with DSJ because most of what you want to see in terms of his improvement is on the offensive side of things. Now in the preseason, his defense is on point. <laughs> his defense has actually been on point. You know, he's been attacking, keeping his hands up, getting into the passing lanes and, and really being a pest out there. But offensively, there's just so much that he has to improve on. I'm just not sure uh, if he's going to have enough time to do it here. You know, what I see in the preseason, uh, you know, first game and third game against the Cavs, he, he had some okay spots. Definitely not getting into the lane like the old DSJ would. You know, if you go back in time, that that one 
great game that he had was the game in, in Detroit where he dropped 31 points. He's doing 360s in the, in the lane. He's throwing alley-oops, you know, to DeAndre Jordan, and he's getting to the free throw line. You know, that was his best game as a Nick. But he, he's just not looking like that guy. Uh, offensively, it just seems like he's trying. He's he's focused, you know, which is good. But I feel like he's he's really trying to play the position, and I'm not sure that he, he's truly a point guard. I think what you saw in game three of the Cavs when he was out there with Quickly, and Quickly was able to set him up. He had a couple spot-up threes, and he was just able to just go out there and do what he does best, which is try to score. You know, he looked a lot better. But when I think when he, when he gets into the half court, the, the pace is much slower. He's not able to get them in their sets. Um, you know, he had Obi all out of sorts in game two against Detroit. He himself was out of sorts in game two against Detroit. I, I just I'm just not sure if he can truly play the point going into the season, going into the preseason before knowing that they were going to give quickly a shot. I thought they should just give DSJ a shot. You know, like what what could what do we have to lose, you know, in, in terms of uh, just giving him the keys and seeing what he can do. But now that you see the emergence of quickly, I, I'm just not sure how long they wait around for DSJ. And, and you know, that's the ugly side of the business. They, they don't wait for anybody. Right. They brought in Alec Burks. They brought in Rivers. They drafted quickly. So, you know, it, it, it's put up a shut up time for DSJ, for Frank. And I, I just think the, the ship is, is going to end up sailing on him in his time in New York. Yeah, I think in terms of his ability to play the point guard spot, we, we really saw it um, when I, I think the Pistons maybe did this initially and the Cavs sort of copied the same tactic when he was getting hard doubled at, at half court. And yep. most panic. NBA... Oh, yeah, go ahead, CP. No, no, I'm just, I was just, I was just adding in. I was just saying he panicked. He folded. Yeah, absolutely. And and I was going to say, most NBA players, you, like Chris Paul starts like drooling. If he sees a double team coming, he's like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna cross over, do a little push dribble, split the double team, and then we're gonna have a four on three, and it's it's gonna be e- easy sailing from there. Um, and Dennis, just to your point, like he just he picked up the ball and he didn't he didn't really know what to do, and it, it just it's this situation where I think he was a little bit broken by last season, and it, it's yeah. nice to see him maybe translate some of that energy defensively, but. We're not getting the guy who I know. I know it's kind of it's kind of this is a little bit of a joke because you keep bringing it up who shot 19 free throws in his first game against the Pistons, who was like aggressively breaking down defenses and getting to the rim again and again and again. And and I think at this point it's a little bit of a, a, a sunk cost fallacy where you're essentially saying we poured resources into Dennis Smith Jr. He he was nominally the fulcrum of the trade that where we dealt away the best player we've drafted in the last. 15, 20 years, maybe longer, maybe the last 30 years um, for this guy. Um, so we need to continue to invest time, money, and resources into him because we've already invested them. And, and even if it's not worth continuing to invest, and even if the prudent move would be to stop investing, we better keep doing it because we got to justify that trade. And, and I think the beauty of that situation for the Knicks is because you have almost, almost an entirely new regime, you can cut ties and say, all right, but he wasn't our problem. We didn't make that trade. We can say, I mean, I, I'm not even going to relitigate the trade itself. Like, let's just like assume Chris Stapps had to get out of there. Um, you, you could say, all right, we, we knew we had to get rid of him. We got the cap relief we wanted. We got the picks we wanted. The Dennis Smith Jr. part, it didn't work out. Maybe if we'd been a little smarter, there would have been a different guy we targeted, but we weren't and, and we didn't. So we got to accept that and, and we got to get him out of there because I, I think it's obvious that um, Frank, and this is um, for the people who are big Frank fans, what they say over and over and over again, um, as obvious as his weaknesses are, 
he has very clear strengths in a way with Dennis Smith Jr. If I asked either of you, can you pinpoint what Dennis Smith Jr.'s strengths are as a player at this point? You couldn't really do it. You could say, oh, he's kind of been good defensively recently, or he's a great dunker, but I haven't seen him dunk in a game in, in, in like a, a year. I, I know it's less than that, but multiple times in a game, it's been like a year, a year and a half. It, you cannot pinpoint what that guy does well on a basketball court consistently. While with Frank, it, it's abundantly obvious when he does well on a basketball court consistently. He's one of the best one-on-one defenders in all basketball. He's an excellent team defender. He hasn't really shown it this preseason where I've been, I've been a little disappointed with how he's, I, again, very limited minutes where I was played defensive or um, overall this preseason, but he is a sublime passer. He's a very, very good passer of the basketball. Last year, I think he made, he made great strides in terms of his ability to beat guys off the dribble. He had a bit more pop. I think our guy, Tom Piccolo, uh, clipped a play of him in the Pistons game where he blew by his defender and then set up Mitch or someone else for an easy bucket. Um, and his shooting was, again, small sample size, coming around a little bit by the end of last season. I've noted this before, but post-All-Star post break, eight games, 45% from the field, 40% from three. For the season, this was the most encouraging thing. He, he was right around 86.5% from the foul line. Um, there, there are reasons to believe, I think, in Frank Nilekina as a great role player. And, and in some ways, he's misplaced in this conversation because this was nominally supposed to be the point guard episode. And I, I'm, I've come around to the idea, as much as I love him overall, he's not a primary ball handler. But yeah. in the modern NBA, we see a lot of teams have multiple ball handlers on the court at the same time. And it's sort of like a puzzle piece. Like, either you have the Chris Paul, who you, who you can just – I mean, an obvious, even Chris Paul has played with Harden and now Booker, or Gilgis Alexander the last few years. But on paper, you could put Chris Paul on an NBA court and say, Chris, you're, you're the point guy. Just, just go and get things done. And, and he's capable of doing that. Or, or you could look at multiple guys and say, you're going to do 30%, you're going to do 30%, you're going to do 30%. And I think that's, um, that's sort of the brilliance of R.J. Barrett is that he gives yeah. you that kind of flexibility where you can play Emmanuel quickly, who even going back to college wasn't a full-time point guard and say, all right, you're going to bring it up, you're going to get us into our offense, but at points, R.J. is going to be the guy who breaks down the defense and, and sucks them in and then kicks it out for a three. And, and you can do the exact same thing with Frank. You can play Frank quickly and R.J. together and you sort of have a hydra of an NBA point guard, and that can work because all those guys bring other things. RJ, obviously, his ability to get to the rim. Frank, his defense, quickly is shooting. You can piece together point guard play with this Knicks team, and I, I just I don't really see a necessity to force Dennis Smith Jr. as a quote-unquote true point guard when he isn't that anyways, or even Alfred right. Clayton as a quote-unquote true point guard when you can piece that together. Yeah, I, I agree. And and as you said, the other options like a quickly or like a Frank, when you factor in RJ into the consideration, I, I think those may be overall better fits. You know, so Frank is, is going to give you um, that versatility uh, to, to be a capable ball handler out there. You could, as you said, you can put him out there with quickly, you can put him out there with RJ as well. And, um, you know, a, again, Frank's edge over DSJ is going to be from a defensive standpoint. And and Tibbs already looked as, looks at Frank as kind of a Swiss Army knife, you know, utility guy that ideally he's going to play him off ball. He's going to play him on the wing, but he could give you some ball handling. He could give you a second or third string point guard in a pinch or, or you know, if you have some injuries. So I, I think there there's room for Frank, a low usage, low maintenance player uh, on the roster. Hopefully he can knock down more threes. We know that he he knocked it down at 50% from the corners. So at least that was encouraging. So you would think that ideally that's where Tibbs uh, wants most of the threes to be shot from. So you, so you will probably see Frank there more often this season. But the funny thing is, is that 
uh, from what I heard uh, with Alan Hahn came on the show and he also mentioned it on the Strickland with uh, with Schwinney and those guys was that Frank doesn't want to play off ball and and he sees himself as a as a point guard. So that's going to be worth watching as the season progresses in terms of how they use him, uh, where he's most comfortable. And when it comes to uh, contract time, you know, what will both parties, how will they view the future with each other? You know, Frank with the Knicks and, and the Knicks with Frank. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it, it certainly is. I mean, I, I think we could pretty much punt the idea of Frank signing an extension prior to next summer at this no. point. I, I think if the deadline hasn't passed, it's coming within the next couple of days. And I just don't really see it coming for him. Uh, I, I think that this year is going to be the year that probably makes or breaks it both from his standpoint and the Knicks standpoint as far as what his standing is going to be. Um, I I do. I mean, I sort of agree with Frank in a respect that I do think that he could be a point guard still, if that is actually his, his stance uh, as Alan Hahn has mentioned. But I also can see where he could benefit from playing almost like ideally, I think if he could turn into it, which obviously he would have to take some, some big leaps and bounds uh, from an offensive standpoint, but I almost think that if he reached his ceiling, he could become sort of like a longer Fred Van Vliet in a way uh, where maybe he's not your primary point guard, but he can certainly bring the ball down the court. He yeah. can certainly uh, help run your offense. But, you know, maybe you have a quickly out there with him, which, you know, quickly for all intents and purposes. And this this analogy would be your Kyle Lowry, I guess, which like we could only be so lucky that mm-hmm. he turns out as good as Kyle Lowry. But uh, although similar draft range, so you never know, I guess, uh, I, I think, right. Wasn't Lowry was like a pick in the twenties, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, at any rate, just thinking out loud, but, uh, you know, I, I think if Frank would turn into that sort of player, that would probably be the, the career path I could most see happening for him. And maybe he becomes a not quite so athletically or scoring gifted Fred Van Vliet, not athletically, but you know, but more gifted on defense, you know, so you sort of weigh that out and maybe he becomes just sort of like a, uh, I don't even know who to relate him to at that point, but yeah, like a, like a more defensively gifted, less offensively gifted Fred Van Vliet could be a good role for him. I think if he's willing to accept it, but you know, I also wouldn't blame Frank at this point too, for just being kind of fed up with the Knicks in general, because they, (laughs) You know, Tony Parker made the comment, you know, a couple weeks ago that got yeah, everybody all up in arms. But, bus, man. Yeah, but I don't even think he was wrong. No, you know, that's, he was. that's the reality. Yeah. You know, you can't really fault what Tony Parker said. He basically said, you know, it, that Tony Parker said that he basically tried to control his own destiny and get drafted by a team like the Spurs, if not the Spurs, but get drafted by a team like later in the in the draft because he knew that, you know, it helped his development and help him become a better NBA player. And then referenced Frank and said, you know, look at, look at what happened to Frank Nilakina got taken, you know, in the lottery, but look at how his career has gone so far. And I, you know, it was, it was like a subtle, but loud shot at the Knicks. And mm-hmm. I, I don't blame him. You know, it's, it, it is true. Like Frank has gone through, this is now his fourth head coach in his many years. And, you know, he's, he's never really had a development staff behind him. He's been given very sparing opportunities, despite the fact that the Knicks, you know, up until maybe this year with with quickly have never had a point guard prospect that was head and shoulders better than him you know so they've never really just kind of thrown frank out there and let him run the show and seen what happens and you know it's it 
I could see it being frustrating for him. So I want to see Frank in a Knicks uniform for a long time. I I think that maybe his best role will become sort of a part-time point guard, combo guard kind of player. Um, but if he thinks otherwise and wants to go somewhere else, like I wouldn't fault him at the end of the season, though. I would prefer to see him play his career as a Nick because I really do think, regardless of what anybody says about his offense, and many of it is true, many of the things people say are true, like I think that his defense is genuinely like next level. And if he could just get his three point shot sorted out, he could, he could really be like Andre Robertson with an actual offensive game. And he was a, a really useful NBA player, you know, on a team that had something to play for with literally where he would make his team play four on five on offense. So I think there is something to be said for Frank in that regard. I, I think the one question I have about him at this point is how does he make his teammates better offensively when he's on the court. And he did to some extent last year in, in terms of his unselfishness. But it, it, if you look into the stats, it seemed as if the shooting canceled that out. And I thought this was, this was a good point from, from Macri in one of his newsletters, but he was noting that, I mean, again, we all begged for like last year, like Alex, what were you and I always saying on this podcast, CP, I assume you were saying some of the same stuff, um, play Frank, RJ and Mitch together and, and see mm-hmm. what happens. But when RJ and Frank were together, um, they were they were minus eleven for a hundred per hundred possessions. When you threw Mitch in there, they were even worse than that last season. Yeah. And it was it was fascinating that Peyton made them better because nominally you would look at that and you would say, okay, well it's I mean it's obvious, like none of those guys can shoot, so obviously they're going to struggle on offense if, if your three main guys can't shoot the basketball. Um, but the same thing applied to Peyton, and what it was is that Peyton was is is incredibly good at getting into the lane. And, and doing stuff and creating stuff given his lack of shooting. Like it, it's extraordinary how good he is. Like most players cannot get by an NBA defender with a, with a head start, like with the ability to shoot Peyton's getting guys who are sitting five, six feet back. And he's saying, all right, let me, I'll figure this out. So if you want to give Alfred Peyton credit anywhere, that's it. And, and again, Frank got better at that, but it was still mostly coming when he would have an advantage. Like if he got a screen, or, or if he was in transition or, or semi-transition, sprinting down the court after a rebound, where, where he had enough shiftiness at this point where he could beat guys. Outside of that, though, he, he was never, ever, ever like going one-on-one in the half court and just or, – or rarely going one-on-one in the half court and just crossing a dude up. And without mm-hmm. going back and watching a ton of film from last season, my inclination for why those lineups didn't work was because Frank couldn't do that and, and RJ – RJ could do that to some extent, but RJ couldn't finish efficiently while doing that. And if you and if you're a point guard and you can't beat your guy one on one, you're not going to draw the center to come up and help, and then you're not getting lobs to Mitch. So that whole precious ecosystem sort of breaks down if your point guard can't win off the dribble. Which is again why, and this is this is an unrelated topic. It would have been nice to see the Knicks um, use that 33rd pick to take someone like Grant Riller, but that is neither here nor there. Um, to me, that that is sort of, uh, and CP, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. That is ultimately the key to Frank's season and his future. Can he win off the dribble? And part of that, I think, is can he get his jump shot to a point where it's enough of a threat that people have to respect it, which will allow him to win off the dribble? Yeah, the, the jumper has to improve. You said it. The, the jumper definitely has to improve because if it doesn't, you have guys like a Reggie Bullock who could take some of his minutes. Like I said, you have Alec Burks, you have Quickly now in the backcourt, you have Austin Rivers. So I think Frank's minutes are 
I think they're going to be sporadic. I think Tibbs, like every other coach, is going to continue to toy with the lineups and the rotations for for quite some time going into the season. And so I think his minutes are, are going to be um, up and down. And, you know, to Alex's point, the Knicks haven't done him any favors in the development process. They brought in Jared Jack and played him. They brought in Ramon Sessions was getting burned. He sucked. They brought in Moutier, you know, <laughs> traded for Moutier midseason, threw him right into the starting lineup, and, and he's not even in the league right now. Then they go in and bring in DSJ. So I think, you know, they haven't done him any favors, but at the same time, Frank has to step his game up. You know, Frank has to step his game up, as you said, um, Gavin, um, being able to get into the lane, create some sort of separation. We know he doesn't have the explosive explosiveness or the foot speed, but he's got to figure out a way to be crafty enough to get his own shot off. He's still um, tall enough to get a shot off over, uh, you know, some of the smaller guards in the league. So he just has to figure out or, or patent a go-to move um, that he can rely on. And additionally, he's 50% from, from the corner three last year. I think he needs to maintain that and step it up around the other zones around the perimeter. So, um, yeah, make a break season for Frank. We'll, we'll see how it goes, man. But, but, but for Frank and DSJ, I, I just don't see it. Uh, I just don't see their future here. I, I don't know. All right. I, I want to I wanna do sort of an interesting exercise here. So we'll include quickly in this, too, since obviously he belongs in the discussion. Uh, if we were going to predict... And we don't have to we don't have to predict the exact number because that's that's a fool's errand. But if you're going to predict between those four players, Alfred, DSJ, Frank, and Quickly, who will have the most we'll say minutes per game, uh, minutes per game or total minutes. It's tough to say because of injuries and all that yeah. crap and potential COVID implications, things like that. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say minutes per game. Um between those four. Who, how are they going to rank out one to four? Gavin, I'll throw it to you first. Oh, sure. Thank you. <laughs> Just put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. No pressure. yeah I really do. It's generous of you. Um, I'm going to say by the by the end of the season, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say quickly Elf, Frank, DSJ, because I think I think DSJ gets either dealt or cut or, or just benched at some point. Yeah. Yeah. CP, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think um... – I think they'll continue to try the DSJ thing going into it. I don't think they'll give the keys to quickly on starting off on Wednesday. So I think Peyton quickly, Frank DSJ will be the order going into it. Maybe you see quickly finish some games. Um, but then by the end of the season, I think you'll see it quickly. Peyton. See, I'm see, I'm wondering if they go a, a lineup of of Frank and Rivers, uh, mm -hmm. you know, going. Yeah, I suppose Rivers is the other wild card that right. we didn't even really talk about in here. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know if they are they, they going to use Austin Rivers at the point. Are they going to use him at the two? Um, would they put him in the backcourt with Peyton? I would love to see him out there with Frank. I think that's a better tandem. But I think uh, finishing off uh, to the season, I would go quickly. Peyton, Frank, DSJ. Yeah. I think I think I'm also going to go the same order. As much as I would love to see it be quickly, Frank Peyton DSJ. I, I think that Peyton, short of getting traded midseason, you know, which we saw last year. I mean, I don't think he's going to play demonstrably better than last year. And last season there was no market for him, so I don't know why there'd be a huge market for him this year. I guess maybe the fact that he only makes five million dollars this year. Now you have early bird rights on him that you can trade to other teams, which uh, I don't know exactly what 
that would allow another team to pay him if they felt like retaining him. But, you know, if it's like an over the cap team that needs backup point guard help and is willing to give him like a multi-year deal starting at like $7 million a season or something, then maybe some team would be intrigued by that, uh, depending on how he plays. But I'm kind of the same opinion. And, you know, I think if we added Rivers into the mix that he would probably, he's probably going to come in potentially, hmm, he, he might honestly be one of the top guys, period. Facts. Uh, he might he might literally be number one out of this group of four that we just did because I, I do think, to your point, CP, he's going to get a lot of... He's going to get a lot of run. Uh, yeah, a lot of minutes at the one and the two. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be somewhere he's the nominal one, somewhere he's the nominal two. Uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of really... I mean, I'll say this much for the Knicks. It, it's kind of a crapshoot with the guard rotation right now, but it's certainly intriguing. Uh, <laughs> with yeah. how they're going to configure things all the way from the one to the three, which, you know, thankfully I'm glad that uh, based off some recent comments, it seems like they figured out that RJ is a three yep. uh, and they're going to operate with him that way. I wish they would realize that Knox is a four next, but I digress. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at any rate, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting season. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm certainly intrigued to see how this all works one, out. One um, more thing on, on Frank, though, that I was going to yeah. um, say. He's got to stay healthy, man. You know, every yeah. year he's coming up with the groin injury. Now it's the strained Achilles. I mean, if again, part of it is on Frank. He's got to step it up. He's got to be a dog, get more aggressive out there, but he has to stay healthy as well. You know, and he, and he hasn't shown the ability to do so. Neither has DSJ. So those are two things that could be against them as well. Yeah, and and that's one thing that's come up too. I think I, I might have brought this up on the pod at some point. If I haven't, I've definitely thought it in my brain, uh, which is – you know, Tibbs's penchant for playing players a lot of minutes wouldn't necessarily work well on Frank. So even if he does, you know, assert himself and maybe he snatches a starting spot at some point this year, uh, he's going to have to stay healthy. And that, that is a really good point. I mean, only so much of that could be controlled, but you have to wonder if some of it's conditioning or stretching or, or what, you know, I mean, but Frank has been really snake bitten by the fact that every time he starts to get rolling, he gets hurt again. And it's, you know, mostly it's been the groin, but there's been other issues as well. Now he's got the Achilles, which doesn't sound like a big issue. It sounded like it was mostly precautionary that they held him out for yeah. the last two preseason games. But yeah, it is something to keep an eye on because injuries have been derailing his career. Uh, Gavin, sorry, I think I interrupted you. Oh, no, it's, it's all good. Uh, very, very last point by me. And it's, it's a question for both of you. And you just we, we just kind of were hinting at this and we we're dancing around it. Fully, if everyone's fully healthy, do you guys think Frank is in the rotation to start the year? Because my my thought at this point is that he's not going to be. Well, CP, we'll, we'll, we'll throw that to you. I think they go Bullock first. I think they go Bullock first. I'm not sure if Bullock starts with RJ at the wing. I, as I said, I would rather go Burks for more versatility, more playmaking ability. And then off the bench, I don't know when Rivers comes back. I haven't heard any update on him, but. I think Rivers is coming off the bench. You have Obi coming off the bench. I think Kevin Knox deserves to come off the bench. You have Mitchell Robinson off the bench. That's that's nine in the rotation already. So between Reggie Bullock, DSJ, and Frank, that's a 10-man rotation. And I, I think it's going to come down between – I think Bullock will get the first look, and, and then he'll go Frank in, in a pinch. Yeah, I'm kind of – I'm kind of leaning the same way, unfortunately. I, And I think as frustrating as it'll be to see, uh, I think that if it comes down to it, DSJ would get minutes over Frank to start the season, which would really suck. I mean, that would just kind of be the final 
the final like kick in the nuts as far as his development's concerned. <laughs> I think uh, if DSJ is given more chances to go out there and prove that he's probably not an NBA player anymore at this point. Um, but the, this front office and Tibbs, you know, just seem to be more enamored with DSJ for that potential. I guess it would be third point guard role at this point. I think it's going to be Peyton as the one to start the season, you know, quickly as the two, you know, the, the second point guard, I should say. And then, you know, DSJ in the in the third point guard role for whatever sparing minutes come of that. Uh, I will say the only thing that potentially gives a chance that all guys could potentially get some run is that uh, it does seem like the Knicks want to play fast. Yep. And so ideally that means more distributed minutes to keep more fresh legs out there. Uh, so maybe we'll just see a situation where, you know, maybe quickly plays quickly and Peyton between the one and the two, you know, play 25 minutes each or something. And you can maybe find a way, even if Frank goes out there nominally as the three for a little bit to maybe find him 10 to 15 minutes uh, and still get DSJ like 10 minutes at like the third string ish point guard. But then, you know, yeah, you still have you still have Bullock and Burks to deal with, too. And and with Bullock, is it going to be final game of preseason Bullock or first three games of preseason Bullock yeah, where exactly. he literally couldn't hit anything? Um, I guess that'll that'll determine some stuff, too, because I don't think that I, I think that Tibbs did want to see how Bullock looked in the same lineups that he had Burks in mm-hmm. to figure out who to start between the two. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that Bullock will have as long of a leash during the regular season. Like if he's throwing up one for six from three nights, they're not yeah. going to, they're not going to leave him out there. Like they did in preseason. Yeah. So. I, I agree. And yeah. definitely agree on that. But Gavin, what's your, do you have any thoughts on that one as well? No, I just, my, my gut feeling is, is similar to you guys. I, I don't think he's going to play to start. the. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's as good of a note as any to end on maybe a slightly morbid one. Yeah, <laughs> We're doomed. We got to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Start quickly um, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. But that's uh so that's it for this uh, this episode and for our player capsule previews. So CP, we were happy to have you on for like the grand finale here. Um we're presumably this is going to be releasing on game morning on Wednesday. So do you want to tell everybody where to find you later today after the first Knicks regular season game of the season. Yeah, man, you could catch us Knicks post game live youtube.com slash Knicks fan TV right after the game analysis, highlights, caller reactions, um, the whole nine, man. Definitely appreciate the time, fellas. Great to catch up with you. Yeah, of course, CP. And thank you for coming on. And uh, yeah, this has been our player capsule previews for locked on Knicks. We hope you all enjoyed this absolute blitz of content. Uh, that we came out with covering every player on the Knicks this season. If you didn't catch the previous ones, uh, check them out. We had uh, Terry of NYK, Terry and Trey come on for our first one. Uh, we had John Schmilk of WFAN for our second one. We had Tom Piccolo of the Talking Knicks podcast for our third one. Uh, then JB of Knicks Film School and also partly of the Strickland. And uh, Daily Knicks come on for our fourth one. Uh, and then we, of course, had Prez come on to break down the rookies in our fifth edition. And then this has been our final and sixth edition of the Player Capsule Preview. So check those out. A lot of them were two parts on our feed, uh, but a lot of really, really good content to get you ready for the season about all these various players. But uh, until the start of the season, we will. Uh, well, actually, that's we'll talk to you tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday, full disclosure. 
but we'll talk to you tomorrow on Thursday with our first regular season game recap. Until then, peace out. We'll talk to you soon.